Thank you for listening to the Paradigm Podcast. Paradigm is a young adult ministry that exists to see lives changed by Jesus. For more information about Paradigm, go to ParadigmKC.com. We hope this message is inspiring and life-changing. Thanks for listening. Paradigm, thank you so much for getting here tonight. I just want to turn your attention to this uh, Bible app that we have. It's called YouVersion Bible app. We're going to be all over the map tonight, so typically I like to point your attention to one specific book, but we're going to be all over the map tonight as we continue this series called Help. And so you can go to the YouVersion Bible app, and you can navigate that thing so that you can kind of keep up, or if you want to try to take notes tonight, good luck. We're going to be moving quick, and we've got a lot of content that we're going to cover, and I am so excited to get into God's Word and kind of do that because there's going to be a lot of things that I hope to help you out because I know they've been helping me out. Um, Before we get into the Word of God, where are my ladies at? Ladies, let us hear you. Woo! All right. Yeah, nice. And fellas, can we just celebrate our women real quick? Just clap it up for these ladies, right? Yes. Woo! That's what I'm talking about, right? It is National Women's Month, and just a couple days ago, it was International Women's Day, and so we just celebrate you ladies, and uh, we could not be here without you, literally. We thank you so much. Uh, when, I, when I think about women, uh, one of the most important people in my life is a woman. It's my wife, and, and there are so many things that make her a spectacular person, but one of the things that makes her really, really spectacular in my life is that I've had a front row seat to see just how tough she is. Now, if you've met my wife, that's a little bit confusing that I would use that adjective to describe her because um, um, she literally weighs about as half as much as, as me. And, um, and so she's this tiny, uh, just feisty, amazing woman of God, but she is incredibly tough. Let me explain what I mean. Um, she's delivered three children, and when she was pregnant with our third, Anna Joy, um, about seven months into that pregnancy, she started having chest pains so severe that she thought she was having a heart attack. And so we go to the hospital and they're like, hey, it's just really, really severe heartburn that you're having. And so indigest that you're having, it feels like a heart attack. And, and then a little while later, we move here to Kansas City during this time. And then she delivers our third baby, a healthy baby. My wife's incredible in the, in the delivery room. But during her pregnancy, that chest pain persisted. And then even after she delivered this little baby girl, that chest pain persisted. So she goes into the doctor and they begin to start trying to figure out what's going on. And, and so she's, she's come to me and she's like, hey, my body's out of whack and I need to get it back in whack. That's not a saying, but anyway, it made sense in her mind. So she's like, I gotta get my body back in whack. And so she goes to the doctor and they're like, oh yeah, it's a gallbladder. We need to remove the gallbladder. And uh, she's like, I kind of like my gallbladder, you know? And so she begins to do like some homeopathic stuff. She does like a gallbladder cleanse. I don't recommend this. It's like lemon juice and olive oil and like chia seeds or something weird like that, all right? And then she's eating only watermelons for a few days and she's trying all this stuff. She goes and gets some other opinions because she wants her gallbladder. She doesn't want to have to give up her gallbladder. And all the while, she's having this severe pain. I mean, months are passing by. I need to get my body back at whack. I need to get my body back and whack. She gets a massage, which was well overdue, all right? You should do that, ladies, if you like. Anyway, so she gets a massage, and her masseuse is like, it's like she's rubbing on her back, and then she's like, hey, Chelsea, um, did you know that you have a rib that's out of place? And she's like, what? She's like, yeah, yeah, as I'm feeling around on your back, there's a rib that's out of place, and it's right around the region of your gallbladder. And she's like, let me see if I can pop it back in place. And so, I don't know that masseuses are supposed to be doing this, but anyway, she... It's like deep tissue, right? All right. She, she pops my wife's rib back in place. 
And my wife's like, oh. For a year, she had a dislocated rib. And the issue that the medical community thought was the issue, and I'm not hating on the medical community, they're just, they're just kind of doing their job and it just made sense to them and to the doctors, they're brilliant, they've gone through a lot of school. And, but, but, but she was like, I don't know that that's the issue. And she, she had these symptoms, had this pain, and then, and then she, she explored some other things. And, and what she found out is that the, the issue that this person thought was the issue really wasn't the issue, but she was still in a lot of pain and she was committed to figure out what was the source of this pain. And, and then she figured out it was something that was dislocated. And I share that story with you tonight because oftentimes what is the issue or what seems to be the issue is not really the issue. And when it comes to mental health, sometimes we are feeling a lot of pain and we're seeing a lot of symptoms and what we think is the issue or what we think is the problem may not exactly be the problem. Now, when it comes to mental health, we all kind of struggling. We said this last week that one out of two Kaiser Foundation found this that are struggling with mental health. <laughs> And that's like half of us, all right. And, uh, and, and if you aren't struggling, just wait. You'll probably struggle a little bit. And that's like, that's like suicidal ideation. That's anxiety. That's depression. That can mean lots of different things. And then the CDC found that one in four young adults have contemplated suicide this last year. And then you saw all the stats of this welcome, this opening video. It's like, let's all get depressed if we weren't already, you know? And so you see all the stats, like we're stressed out and we're, you know, that sort of thing. And, and like, it, it's this reality that we've come in here with tonight. And, and here's the tendency is that we will run aggressively after the symptoms of our mental illness when, when really the problem is much deeper than that. That oftentimes we want to address these surface issues, these symptoms, if you will, but typically there's something deeper and something much more complex than the depression that we're dealing with or the anxiety that we're dealing with or the trauma that we're dealing with that's underneath the surface. That so often anxiety and depression are symptoms, not sources. In mental illness, it's pulsating, trying to tell us to dig beneath the surface to discover the source of our problem. So we're in the series called Help, a series on mental health. And what we've been doing is we've been trying to remove this stigma that oftentimes remains in places like this where you have to kind of have this pretentiousness that you have it all together. But can I just kind of give a collective sigh of relief? No one has it all together, all right? And so if you come in here perceived in your mind as dysfunctional, welcome to the club, all right? And I wanna remove the stigma of mental illness in places like this so that we don't bow out of those conversations, but rather we lean into those conversations. And so last week when we kicked off the series, we just asked this question, how does Jesus respond to people that have been cast out by society? And we saw this story in Mark chapter five where Jesus, he, he goes out of his way to cross paths with somebody that most people would go out of their way to avoid this person. And so we saw this, that Jesus, he's not trying to dodge you. He's trying to help you understand, you're not alone. You will not have to endure this forever, and you have not been forgotten. And so tonight, I wanna continue the conversation, and I wanna ask this question, what's the source of your sickness? No more procrastinating paradigm. No more delaying the inevitable. No more waiting. We have to solve this issue tonight. And so if you're taking notes, I've titled this message, Back in Whack. It's time to get your mind back in whack, like my wife would say. And I want to point you to two sources of your sickness, potentially, and then leave you with one solution before we leave tonight. 
So there's this guy named David, and he kind of rolls around in the first part of the Bible, and, and, he, and he is described as someone who is after God's own heart. He's a man after God's own heart. And, and here's what we find out in the life of David. We kind of get a front row seat into his life, and we find out this, that just because you're a man after God's own heart doesn't mean you, you ain't got some issues, all right? My guy David has some personal issues, he has some family issues, and so we can relate to David and, and what's going on in his life currently when we're about to look at this psalm that he wrote, what's going on in his life is that his son Absalom has rebelled against him, has built an army and is saying to his dad, I want to kill you and I want to overthrow your kingdom. Nobody's had that day. And so David, he's having a bad day, if you will. And this is a curveball that he never saw coming. And some of you, maybe it's not your son that's trying to rebel against you and overthrow you and kill you and demise all the things that you've worked hard for, but maybe it was something tragic. Maybe you've come in here and, and there's like this, I don't know if you've ever been there where, where trauma hits and you're like, is this a dream? Did they really die? Am I, it's just so surreal. Maybe you've come in here and you're, you're under the age 30 and you're already divorced. You're like, I didn't plan on this. Or maybe you got a, a diagnosis that is a life-altering diagnosis and you're like, how do I, is this really, is that, it can't be. And life has a way of throwing curveballs at us. And this is what's happened with David's life and his world is falling apart within his own family. And so he writes this psalm, and, and psalm is kind of like a, it's a poetic expression of what's going on. And, and, and oftentimes we think that the Bible is just kind of full of like, hi-ho, cheerio, it's all going to be good, you know? But that's not the reality. Like a third of the book of psalms are psalms of lament. These are songs of grief. And so David, he's writing this psalm, and it's in Psalm 42 and 43. And a lot of people believe that these two were written at the same time. And David, three times he asked this question. Here's what he says in Psalm 42, verse 5. He says, why are you downcast, O my soul? Or why are you cast down, O my soul? And again, he asked this in five, he asked this in 11, he asked this in 43, verse five, and if you know anything about the Hebrew language or about the Bible, when they do things in groups of three, what they're saying is that he's asking this question a lot. Like he's at, and maybe you've asked this question, what's wrong with me? Why, why am I stuck in this trough, if you will? Why am I so anxious about this? Why am I why do I want to end it? And he's saying like, why, why, what's, wh why are you cast as like he's having a conversation with himself? Don't act like you ain't never done that. <laughs> why are you off in the mind? What's the source of your sickness? Uh, one of the sources of your sickness may be this, and if you're taking notes tonight, you could write this down. Source number one, source number one of your sickness could possibly be could possibly be sin. Now, real quick, now some of y'all are like, man, I ain't trying to feel guilty, and I ain't trying to make you feel guilty, all right? So, so don't, don't I'm, not, I'm, I'm not yelling at you yet, all right? I'll probably yell at you in a minute, but I'm not yelling at you about this, okay? That this is not meant to make you feel guilty, but this is, this is meant, much like that masseuse was working on my wife's back, she wasn't like, don't you know you got, you know, she was like, hey, just did you know that there was something that's dislocated, and the source of some of y'all's mental illness could potentially be sin. Now, sin's this word that we oftentimes throw around in places like this, but 
in, in, out in the real world, we're not really talking about sin a whole lot. So let me just kind of give us a definition and, and let us all go together that sin in the Hebrew is the word pasha, and it's an archery term that literally means to miss the mark. And so what, what the Bible said, when the Bible says sin, it means that we've missed the mark of God's standard. But sin is, it's also much bigger than that. When you read parts of the Bible, you could conclude that sin, here's a good definition, that sin is doing something that hurts others or yourself. And sin, man, it's complex. Like oftentimes, it's not just one sin that could be the source of our sickness up here. And so when we go through this list, don't think, oh yeah, that's the one, that's the problem. Typically, it's sin that layers upon sin, that layers upon sin, that layers upon sin. So what I'm trying to say is that sometimes in order to diagnose something, it takes a little work. So let's look at a few sins that maybe we brought in here tonight that we could identify that could potentially be the source of our sickness. How about sexual immorality? 1 Corinthians 6, 18 says this, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Again, sin is doing something that hurts others or yourself. And so what the Bible is saying, what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians is that when we abuse sex, it is abusing ourself and other people. One of the pandemics that we don't like to talk about a whole lot is the porn pandemic. And I could stand up here and I could give you stat after stat after stat that would convince you and show you how much we are consuming pornography. I think classically it's like, guys, y'all should quit looking at porn. But it's not just a guy issue. Okay, ladies, you ain't off the hook, all right? That this is something that we as a society are consuming. In fact, North Americans consume the majority of pornography. That the porn industry makes more money than the NHL, the NBA, the NFL, the MLB, combined, all right? That this is a huge problem. And some of us, we've come in here and we're abusing sex by consuming porn, or we're just abusing sex by Swiping right every night, you know? I mean, and so we've gotta ask ourselves, is the reason why I'm off mentally because I'm abusing this aspect of my life? And you can do research and you can see that when we consume sex in a way that was outside of God's design, it can oftentimes lead to depression and anxiety. Listen, you can't treat people like objects and expect to be filled with joy. So maybe it's sexual immorality or maybe it's bitterness. Uh, Hebrews 12, 14 through 15 says this, pursue peace with all people. Easier said than done, amen? All right, pursue peace with all people. Some of you are like, you don't know my people, <laughs> anyway. And holiness with, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness, there's the key word, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. So what the Bible is saying is that when we don't deal with our bitterness, it will defile us. And it can cause us to stress out. See, I think when it comes to bitterness, you have a few options. You can repress bitterness and be like, you know what, it's not there. It's not, it's, you know, it's, it's no, I'm just gonna kind of just push it underneath. Like, you know, I'm not gonna worry about it. You can repress it. You can, you can suppress it. You kind of sweep it under the rug. And, and what they said to me is no big deal. What my daddy did to me is no big deal. I don't even know my daddy. I don't care about my daddy. What, what she did to me is no big deal. And all the while, you just kind of got this root of bitterness that is, that is just seeping in the soil of your soul. And you're just like, oh, I don't, I don't know. And it's, but it's no big deal. It's no big deal. But if you don't address bitterness and you just repress it, you suppress it, you don't address it, then it's gonna leak out sideways in the form of depression. 
So I told y'all last week, if you weren't here, that I had some daddy issues. You know, some of you are like, welcome to the club, right? And so my daddy, he, man, he just did some things in his life that burned quite a few bridges within our family and me and my brothers. And, and so as I'm, as I'm processing adulthood, I'm like, man, I've got this bitterness and this animosity towards my father. And I'm thinking, you know what? I'll just kind of let time heal it all. I'll just kind of get some distance between my daddy. And, but it didn't heal it, y'all. I had to address that bitterness. And I had to choose to forgive my father for the wounds that he inflicted upon my life and my mama's life, and my brother's life, and my other brother's life, and my, you know, I mean, it goes on and on and on. And newsflash, bitterness is like a root, that sometimes you think you got that thing up out of the dirt, and there's still a little bit left. And then about three months later, you're like, why am I so bitter towards that person again? You gotta rinse and repeat. You gotta forgive them once again. And then a few years later, like my dad is now long gone. He passed away. But there's still days where I'll just, I'll just, get, I'll just be bitter towards him for some reason. And I gotta go back and I gotta say, God, would you forgive me? Because if I don't address that bitterness, it's gonna leak out sideways in the form of depression and mental illness. So maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's worries. Matthew 6, and 34 says this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So worry is like when you freak out, if, I, if you needed a definition, all right? Worry is when you're abdicating mental self-control and you're plunging into the endless, repetitive cycle of what ifs and what, what will happen and fears about tomorrow and, and, and you're fantasizing a negative reality that's gonna happen in your life. And listen, this is why worry is a sin. It's, it's functionally, you are not trusting God with your future. And God, he, he's built us to walk in peace, He's built us to, to walk in freedom from anxiety. He's, he's built us to, to trust him, not to worry. Worry is, is temporary atheism. Worry is, is when you stop trusting God. It's when you stop believing that there's a God who is real, who's aware of your situation, who loves you, who is involved with you, and who is able to do anything in your life. And when you worry, you are pausing faith and saying, just stay right there. And you stop believing in what's true and you try to control your situation. So maybe it's sexual immorality, maybe it's bitterness, maybe it's worry. We could go on and on and on, okay? But for the sake of time and the sake of your sanity, I'm gonna stop for a little bit, okay? And so you just need to be asking God, what is the source of my sickness? And potentially the source could be a sin that you need to address. And when, when sin is the source of your sickness, listen, mental illness is a gift, now, this sounds crazy, right, that I would say that, but the reason why it's a gift is because God loves you so much that he would not allow you to get away with sin without any sort of pain. You reap what you sow. There are consequences for your actions. And when you rebel against God in the way that you were designed, you hurt others and you hurt yourself, and you're missing the mark, and you're sinning. And so mental illness, it can serve as a, as a form of pain, and pain is, is not really a bad thing because pain is telling you, hey, there's something that is broken, right? <laughs> and so what will happen is that, that we'll begin to just look at the pain and we'll think, I need to numb the pain. Like imagine if my wife, she has this pain in her chest and she just resolved to live her life just crunching ibuprofen and whatever other painkillers, just trying to keep that pain at bay when she knew that she could resolve the source of her sickness by setting that rib back in place. 
But she was like, you know what? I don't wanna fix the problem. I just wanna medicate the pain. <laughs> How many of y'all got a check engine light on? All right, no hands. But you know you got one on up in here. You know you are. That, that's like you taking tape and putting tape over the check engine lights on your dashboard because they're too bright. You know, it'll be all right, you know? You need to deal with the problem, all right? You don't need to let the light bulb burn out and then change the light bulb, okay? And depression is emotional pain. And anxiety is mental pain. And listen, the goal is not to numb the symptom, but to know the source. The goal, again, let me say it again, it is not to numb the symptom. It's to know the source. And God loves you too much to give you joy and fulfillment while you are in sin. And some of you are here tonight and you're mentally ill, you are anxious, you're depressed, because let's be honest, you're in sin. And you can't choose to sin and not choose to suffer. You have to deal with it. So there's this guy in the Bible, and his name's Nathan. And Nathan's one of these guys that's not a real popular guy. He's in the first part of the Bible, and he was friends with this guy, David, that we were just talking about. And Nathan comes to David, and he's like this guy that I don't know exactly how he approached David, but he knew about some of David's issues. And, and David, he had this problem in his life where once he was a man after God's own heart, but again, just because you're a man after God's own heart doesn't mean you don't have a wicked heart. And so David, he is later in his life, he, he begins to uh, pursue this woman named Bathsheba and he calls for her, but Bathsheba's married. He gets her pregnant and then he tries to like concoct this whole plan to cover up the pregnancy and, and then it leads him to have this woman's husband murdered, like some Jerry Springer stuff up in the Bible, y'all. And so Nathan is like coming to David, and he's like, hey, bro, hey, I think, and David's kind of, he's, he's, br he's brushed all this under the rug, he's like, it's no big deal, it's no big deal, but now David's kind of getting eaten up on the inside, and he's not in his right mind. And so Nathan comes to him, he's like, hey, man. He tells him the story, he's like, I think the issue, I think like the reason why you're going through some issues is because you're sinning. And I'm your Nathan tonight. And true love speaks the truth in love. And maybe the reason why you're going through issues here and here is because you're sinning. And so when this happens in the Bible, Nathan, he calls David out and David's like, man, you're right. And we see the humility of David. Again, it's, it's not so bad when we mess up, it's more when we try to cover up instead of open up and say, God, I need to owe up to the fact that I done messed up. You know what I'm saying? And so David, he owes up to the fact that he done messed up and he confesses his sin publicly. He, he tells to Nathan, hey, I've sinned against God. He tells God, I, I've sinned against you. And we have Psalm 32 that was written after this occasion. And here's what David says. He says this, when I kept silent, when I just brushed it under the rug, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. That's some of y'all. You know, God's just weighing on you. Like, you better be honest, you know. And he says this, my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. He said, I was, I, I'm down. I was depressed. You know that doctors say that achy bones and exhaustion are symptoms of depression. Like, could it be that there's something deep down that is affecting your body externally? This psalm, if you were looking at this in your Bible, it says, a psalm of David, 
a maskil. I don't even know, you know, I don't know what words like that mean really, but, but I did some research and a maskil is a Hebrew word for teaching. That David is trying to teach us something that when we conceal our sin, when we just kind of stuff it down, it's going to leak out sideways in the form of mental illness. It's going to feel like our bones are hurting because we're concealing something that we know that we've done that is not right. And then David, he goes on, he says, then I acknowledged my sin to you. He's talking about to God. And I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. So David, he says, I acknowledge my sin, my iniquity, and my transgressions. He's like covering all bases. He's like, I acknowledge my issues, my bents, my lustful tendencies. I acknowledge my rebellious heart to actually premeditatively do this thing, and I acknowledge exactly what I did and who I did it to. I I covered it all, and I confessed it to you, God, and God gave him forgiveness. So what happened in the middle of him being compressed by God's conviction and him feeling this like right in the bones? And then him experiencing the forgiveness and ultimately at the end of Psalm 32, he's rejoicing to God. What happens in the middle is that he confesses his sin to God. (laughs) Some of you, the result of you coming here tonight is that you are gonna diagnose something that is not right in your heart or in your life and you're gonna open up and you're gonna confess it to God. Listen, we need to confess our sins because sins, they're like a fungus. They grow in the dark, but they die in the light. And we need to get those things surfaced and we need to deal with them. We are not made for hiding. We are not created to be in rebellion against God. We were made for a right relationship with God and the prerequisite for a right relationship with God is confessing our need to him and experiencing forgiveness. And then he calls us to a family. We we call it a, a community group. You need to get into a community group. See, God is not just a me. And so you were made for an us and not just an I. Like God was, he he is community in his essence and he calls us to be in a spiritual family. And we need this. So happy Coronaversary. I don't know if y'all know that, but here in about two days is when we went on the lockdown last year, all right? And so this officially is one year from the last time we met together like this before we went on the lockdown. And we've learned so much about the needs of society and, and what is needed and what is not needed. And there's this study that was done by the Gallup poll, and they polled many people to figure out how they're doing with their mental health throughout the pandemic. And, um, and so what they found is that we, we, we dipped down in every category that they put out there that our mental health got worse during the pandemic. No, <laughs> no shocker, right? We didn't need a study to do that. But they found there was one category where people increased in their mental health during the pandemic. And what they found is that those who attended a weekly religious service had better mental health amid the pandemic. And so when we're arguing about what's essential, what's not essential, I think we have a great argument based upon this research that church is essential. And that what we're doing right now We're being safe, we're being wise, but we are gathering together so that we can be encouraged from the word of God. And then here in just a second, we're gonna bust up into little pockets of conversation and we're gonna process life and we're gonna process this word and we're gonna process what's going on and we're gonna have conversation with one another because listen, we were made for community. Some of you are gonna open up and say, man, I'm struggling with this. Would you pray for me? I saw even pre-service people being prayed over and God ministering to one another through his people. 
and this is essential, and we need this. What's the source of your sickness? Perhaps it's your fault, and you need to deal with something. But maybe it's not. So my wife, when she was going through that dislocated rib, um, she was pregnant with our third, and I have, a, I have a, a nickname for each one of my kids. My firstborn, that's the morning bird. She's up early singing. She's just so happy. The second one, that's my snuggle bug. She just likes to, she's like koala. She likes to hang on me. And then the third one, that's my wiggle worm. All right, she just wiggly. She just in the bed, always kicking. She's my wiggle worm. And no doubt, she was inside of my wife's womb, and she was just kicking and kicking and kicking. And so my wife did nothing to dislocate her rib. You know, she didn't like just boom, a rib on side. She didn't do anything but the baby inside of her had kicked her rib out of place. Yeah, she ain't got much room in there, just, you know, to the baby's defense, all right? <laughs> and so the reason why my wife was dislocated and in pain had nothing to do with her decision. Now, now don't miss this. Some of you are here, and you're struggling with mental illness, and it's not your fault. It wasn't a sin that you committed, it was a sin that someone committed against you. Abuse isn't something that's fun to talk about, but researchers tell us that one in four women have been abused by the time they're 18. Similar research says about one in five, one in six boys have been abused by the time they're 18. And some researchers believe it's higher, but boys just don't talk about that as much. And some of you are here, and, and listen, abuse, I, I, I'm sorry, my heart goes out to you, but let me just say this, that if you have been abused, you need to address what's happened to you. You can't just brush it under the rug, because if you don't address your abuse, more than likely, it will haunt you. And maybe the reason why you're mentally ill it's not your fault at all, but it is your reality. And so let us help you deal with it. What's the source of your sickness? Is it sin? It may not be sin. It, it could be something else altogether. It could be your sin, it could be someone else's sin, or it could be something else altogether. This is a complex issue. There's this guy named Paul, he's in the New Testament, and, and he's this guy that when you read him, you're like confident that this guy, if there was something that he needed to turn away from and, and put away and, and a sin that he needed to address, he would address it, all right? He's written over three quarters of the New Testament. I mean, he is like the greatest church planner of all time. I mean, Paul wanted to be God's man, but we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that he had what he called a thorn in the flesh. Now, theologians, they've debated about what that is, but, but Paul, he just kind of said, I have a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, and it was something in his life that was plaguing him. And he says that he prayed three times that God would take it away from him. Again, when Paul says he prayed three times, he's not like, you know, I just prayed at breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and then I was just like, well, you know, I'll live with this. No, like Paul's like, I labored in prayer. I called my group and said, would y'all pray about this? I went to a counselor. I went to a doctor. I went to a therapist. I read the Bible. I tried. I labored. God, would you take this thing from me? Would you remove this thing from me? And he said, yet it remained. And here's what, here is his conclusion in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. He says this, and he said to me, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities. Did you get that? Paul is saying, I will boast in my infirmities. Who says this, right? 
I'm mentally ill. Yes, that's what Paul's saying. Like, it doesn't make sense. He goes on and says this, I will boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities. Again, this is crazy. He says, I take pleasure in my infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecution, in distresses, for Christ's sake. Here we go. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Source number two of your sickness could be your struggles. Source number two is your struggles. What Paul is saying here is there is something that is plaguing me that I can't get rid of. Now, struggles are a little bit different than sins, right? Like sins are problems that you need to solve. Right? Those are things you need to diagnose and you need to turn from, you need to address. But struggles are more like tensions that you have to learn to manage. And struggles is this category of like, this is kind of how you were made. So like, I'm a doer. Any doers in the house? Like, you just gotta get stuff done. You get stuff done, right? Busy body. You're, you're always just learning something, doing something. Now, I just, I just, like, I just feel like I've got to get all of these things done. And, and, and here's what happens. This is how I'm wired. My mom's wired this way. My daddy was wired this way. And so, like, this is just how I'm wired. And, and I have this tendency to, to busy myself to exhaustion and to overwork. And so, so what will happen is that because I'm wired this way, that, that, that if I'm not getting enough of what I perceive done, then I'm low-key struggling with, like, you know, I'm just kind of down, you know, I just get kind of down when I don't get enough things done that I think I should get done, you know, and, and, uh, and I, you know, I, I mean, I get a little bit low and, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's not depression, guys. <laughs> it, it would never be that, you know, it's just, I just kind of get down, you know, I get a little melancholy, but it's definitely not depression. Somebody say, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Uh, we don't like to admit that we get depressed, do we, guys? Like, I ain't depressed, give me another, give me another cold one. I, I ain't depressed, I'm just sad. Put on some more country music. I, I ain't depressed, I ain't depressed, but I just like Eminem. Like, no, nah, bro, I, I, think, I think you're depressed. No, nah, bro, that's, that's no, nah, man. <laughs> or for me, like, I'm a doer, and so, like, if I don't get enough done, sometimes I... I'll get depressed, and then what will happen is I'll overcompensate, and I'll be like, all right, let me, I'm about to spin these plates, about to spin these plates, and then I get a little stressed out, you know, that's all I do. I get a little stressed out because I'm running a little thin, and then, you know, and I just kind of like get a little stressed, and I snap on somebody, you know, but, but it ain't anxiety. I mean, let's, I, that's for, you know, it's not anxiety, I promise. Someone say, yeah, dear. Can we just admit that sometimes just the way we wired leads us to slip into places of mental illness. And mental illness is all over the spectrum. And so for me, like this is just how I'm wired and I have to be aware of that. This is something that I struggle with. And so the way that I inform my heart in those things is that I, I have to have rhythms of rest. The Bible calls it Sabbath, that God worked six days. It's not wrong to work. Now some of y'all, y'all gonna carry that to an unhealthy place. Chad said not to do anything. I'm about to chill, big chill, right? <laughs> Don't do that, all right? We need you to work, get a job, all right? And so like, I, you know, but God worked six days and then he rested one. And so Jesus said this in Matthew 2, excuse me, Mark 2, verse 27, he said to them that the Sabbath was made for the man. And again, the Sabbath is like rest. <laughs> you, you need to take a break, rest, and reflect. You don't always have to be going, 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 grind, grind. grind. No. 
So, so maybe your struggle is mine, like I, I'm gonna do, or maybe you struggle with perfectionism. Where my perfectionist at? You're sitting all straight up, you're taking notes. You got four pins out right now, it's color-coded, right? <laughs> like that, he said that word wrong. <laughs> One roll on his right leg's longer than his left leg, right? You don't you judge me, you know? And you struggle with OCD, obsessive compa- uh, comparison disorder is what I mean. You know, maybe it's compulsive as well, but it's obsessive comparison. What happens is that you get on Instagram, TikTok, whatever your thing is, LinkedIn, I don't know. Anyway, you get on your thing right now. Ain't nobody on the, anyway, you get on your thing, and, and you start like, you start measuring yourself based upon other people, and you find yourself like criticizing people. But here's what you know to be true. That you have this tendency to think that nothing's good enough and the person that you have the tendency to criticize the most is yourself. And this is just how you're wired. And oftentimes when you give in to that, it leads you to a place of mental illness. And can I just tell you and, and just lovingly say, no one is perfect. This is an imperfect world with imperfect people and imperfections happen all the time. But the Bible says this in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If there was a tagline outside of the ones that we have for abundant life, it's, it's no perfect people allowed. We all have issues and you cannot be perfect. And so maybe that's the source of your sickness. Or, or maybe, it's a, maybe you struggle with just caring for people. You know, you just, you, you grown up, you were just like a mothering person or, or, or you're just, you were the person that felt the responsibility for the family. You know, like my firstborn, she, she has this tendency and, and maybe like you can look back at your life and you're like, why was I nine years old? And when my mom said we had to be there at four, I was like, mom, hey, it's 2.15. You know, it's like, okay, okay. Mom, just letting you know. It's three o'clock, you know, and like, I'm gonna go load up the car. I'm gonna go load up the car. You know, and you're like, why is a nine-year-old loading up the car at three when we only gotta be there to four, you know? And you look back and you're like, why did I care? I just felt like if, it, if I didn't do it, it wasn't gonna get done. And so you see needs in the world and you think you've gotta solve all of them. And again, this is a right thing. This is how you're wired and you, you hear the time, you don't wanna be late. You, you hear the need and you gotta solve it. And listen, here's what I know to be true. That, that when you live in the past too much, you'll struggle with depression. And when you live in the future too much, you'll struggle with anxiety. And God is saying, I need you to be where you are and live in the moment. And if you struggle with caring for the world and feeling that weight, here's what 1 Peter says. One of Jesus' best friends, he says this, 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your cares upon him for he cares for you. And listen, the, the list could go on and on and on. But here's the point that our life with God is meant for dependence and that everybody in here has got something, right? We ain't all going through the same thing, but know this, everyone's going through something, all right? And we've all got a struggle and that struggle is meant to bring you to your knees so that you go to God and say, God, I don't have what it takes to stay sober-minded and stable mentally with this thing. God, I'm gonna need your grace and that's the goal that when you're weak, God is strong. And some of you, you're gonna have to wrestle with this tension all your life and and go to God and say, God, would you help me with this? 
Listen, something is causing your illness. Something is out of whack. It may be a sin, it may be a struggle, but something is dislocated and we need to diagnose it tonight. And the way we diagnose it is with the Spirit of God. We say, God, would you search me? Would you know my anxious thoughts? And would you lead me in your way? You go to the Word of God, you're gonna read the Word of God and you say, Word of God, would you, would you read me as I'm reading you? And would, would you, would you uh, convict me and show me the things I need to determine? You go to your friends and say, hey, is there anything that you see in my life that I need to change? You go to your family, they, they know you well. Hey, family, would you speak into my life? You go to counselors, you go to doctors, and, and you go to therapists, and you figure the thing out. What is the source of your sickness? And when you find the source of your sickness, you repent. Acts chapter three says this, it says this in Acts three nineteen. This is Peter, one of Jesus' best friends. He says, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So two sources, one solution. Here's the solution, repent. Peter's saying that when you repent, times of refreshing will come. Now, now when I say the word repent, don't think like red-faced, you know, like sandwich boards, bullhorn, like repent. You know, it's, that's not what I'm talking about, all right? That, that, so if that's in your mind, get that out of your mind. This is an invitation. <laughs> this, is, this is Peter saying that God is coming to you saying, hey, hey, I've got something to drink over here. Are you parched? Come on. This is, this is an invitation to salvation and to refreshing so the word repent, again, it's not a real common word, but in, in the Hebrew language, which is the main language of the first part of the Bible, this word repent is the Hebrew word shuv. And shuv literally means to return home. And, and so what the Bible is saying is that when you repent, it's like you're coming home. And, and home, ultimately in the Bible, is this place called the Garden of Eden. Like we were made to exist in this beautiful place called the Garden of Eden in a right relationship with God. We rebelled, and, and what the Bible says is that God is working this redemptive plan so that paradise lost will once, or, or will, will once be paradise regained in the future. And it's this idea that when you repent, you're, you're practicing going home. That's why Hosea 6.1 says this, come let us return to the Lord, let us go home. That's what it means to repent. In, in the Greek, which is the language of the second part of the Bible, it's this Greek word metanoia. And the Greek word metanoia means that you think differently. It means that you begin to look at the, the situation, you begin to think the way the Bible says that we ought to think. And what Peter says, when we repent, we get a couple of things. The first thing we get is we get, we get remission. We get forgiveness of our sins. He says that when you repent and you're converted, your, your sins are blotted out. This is, a, this is a, an accounting term, tax season. This is an accounting term. It says like your, your debt is canceled. The, 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 you, you can be forgiven. The sin that you owe, it is, it is canceled in the cross of Jesus Christ. You get remission, but also you get refreshing. He says not only do you get salvation, but you get grace sufficient for today so that you can be renewed in your mind and you can be healed Here's what I've learned about repentance. Repentance is not a one and done thing. It's something that you, you've gotta keep doing. My wife, when she got her rib put back in place that day, it was like, oh, sigh of relief. I don't have to, I don't have to pull out my gallbladder now. I don't, you know, and, and she's like, man, I just feel so much better. This is, what I was, this is what I was missing. But then some time passes and her rib gets dislocated again. Because when, when, you're, when you're raising a young baby, you have this hormone that's inside of you, ladies, that creates this elasticity in your joints. It's kind of weird. but And so her rib got kicked out again. 
And so here's what she did. She felt the pain. She now knew it was rib subluxation, I think is what it's called. And she goes to the place and they reset the rib again. And then this persists for quite some time. She'd be good, rib gets out of place. She knows what it is, knows the pain, goes back, gets it reset. <laughs> then a little while later, rib gets out of place. You know, I mean, just kind of like Gumby in there or something. I don't know. Anyway, she gets it fixed. And listen, this is a picture of repentance for our life. That some of you, you're gonna feel peace for the first time tonight. You're gonna confess some things. You're gonna get some things out of the open, in the light, and you're gonna walk here differently than the way you came. But, but listen, note that in three days, it may come back up. And when it comes back up, you recognize the symptom. You call it what it is, and you go back to the person, Jesus, for forgiveness, and you repent again. That this is what it means. Repentance is not a place that you visit. It is a place that you live. Mental illness is not a once and done, one and done deal. That when you feel depression or anxiety coming, you repent, you know what it is, you know what it's called, and you know what to do with it. And my wife, she's also kind of had this experiment going on, even to this day, with things that she does that could potentially knock her rib out of place. And so here's what she's decided to do. If I do something that knocks my rib out of place, I won't do that thing again. And this is a picture of some of you. You, you need to recognize that there are certain places you go. There are certain people you hang out with. There are certain songs that you listen to. I don't know why I'm so down. You listen to music that's down, right? I don't know why I'm so anxious because you listen to music that's anxious filled or whatever, you know? That's a word, but I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, there, is there something that you're doing? And, and if you determine there is something I'm doing that is causing these issues, then just don't go there. What's the source of your sickness? Is it a sin? Is it a struggle? And what's your solution? David, he asks, why are you downcast? What's wrong with me? Why am I feeling this? And then here's his response in Psalm 42, verse five. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Hope in God. Hope isn't just something you feel. And in this case, I don't think David feels hope. Hope is something that you do. John Maxwell, he says that hope is holding on, praying expectantly. I'm holding on, I'm not giving up. And I'm praying, God, would you take this from me or would you take me through this? And I'm expecting you to return joy to me. I'm expecting you to deliver me through this. That hoping actively this may look like you taking a car drive when you get down. Just getting out of the house and just, and just cruising around town listening to music that's edifying. Hoping actively, that may look like you picking up the phone and calling somebody in your group and saying, hey, would you pray for me? I'm really down right now. Or would you pray for me? I'm really nervous right now. Would you pray for me? I'm really struggling with this thing that's happened. Hope for you, it may look like you sharing tonight, I need help. Do you have hope? Maybe the better question is, do you know that hope has a name and his name is Jesus. And that Jesus, he knit you together in your mother's womb for a purpose. And that purpose is to know him. And all you need in your relationship with God 
It's not you getting your act together. It's not you prettying yourself up. All you need is to recognize your need for God. And some of you tonight, you need to come and have a conversation with somebody and say, I need to know hope. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for tonight. God, we thank you just for the day you've given us. What a beautiful day. Just a great reminder of your mercies and your kindnesses that are new every day. God, we thank you for the way that you sustain the universe. So many things happening right now that we don't even have to care about, that you're just doing. We thank you for your common grace in medicine. We thank you for your common grace in counselors and therapists. We thank you for your common grace just in the levity of life and of spring. And God, I pray that we wouldn't take those things for granted, that we would use those things. God, I pray for my friends that <laughs> have fallen under conviction tonight. God, that they're, they're being honest. They're saying, man, I, I'm not living the way I need to live. God, that you'd give them the courage to confess and you would be faithful and just to forgive them and cleanse them. God, for the, the, the other people in the room that are like, man, I don't think I'm doing anything. I ain't perfect, but I don't think I'm, I'm just struggling. It's how I'm wired. God, I pray that you'd give them the tools they need in their toolbox to be able to respond to those tendencies that they have so they would come to you and they say, God, would you give me grace sufficient for the day? And God, help us to put an end to the mental illness that is plaguing our generation. And may you bring a vaccine through your spirit that would kill mental illness. And we would walk in liberty and in life abundantly for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Would you guys stand and sing?